Welcome to the discussion, Rare Earth Elements, why they are critical to the health of the U.S. economy, defense, and supply chain. Sponsored by STS International, here's today's moderator, John Gilroy. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guests today are David Morgan, co-founder and vice president of operations at STS International, and General John F. Campbell. Gentlemen, how are you? Good, good. good well, we want to have a little discussion here about a kind of a strange topic called rare earth. And there may be people who are listening to this or watching this, and they scratch their heads. So, so David, I'm going to toss to you. So what is rare earth, and why should they even be concerned about it? So rare earth elements are uh, materials that are found uh, throughout different places in the world that are used in manufacturing of high-end electronics. Most people don't realize that uh, rare earths are critical components of today's electronics, both on consumer, commercial, and industrial applications. So they do things like... Uh, develop into magnets, develop into uh, lasers, things like that that are critical for us to use on everyday life. So, uh, General Campbell, so you're driving the Nationals game, you have a traffic jam, you get you out your phone, you assume you're going to have connectivity to a satellite, it's going to get you out of that jam. So what you're saying is that if we ignore the supply of rare earth, we could have all kinds of problems in the commercial and military world. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I think, as, as Dave said, uh, little known fact that it's, it's in a lot of the stuff that we use every single day both from a commercial, but from my perspective, from a military perspective, having been in the Army for about 37 years and taking a look at all the technology we've had over the last 18, 19 years as we've been at war, I look back and think, wow, if we didn't have some of the things we had without the rare earth element that was part of that, you know, we'd be in very bad shape. And the concern really in the discussion that Dave and STS is having is that, you know, how do we maintain that edge? And today, we think really the nation has to have that discussion because we're, we have some issues in rare earth elements and how we get it, how we procure it, how we acquire it. And I think really that's where we want to go today. So we set the stage here. So everyone who's listening or watching should be concerned about rare earth because it's a vital component of military and commercial products. So what role does STS play in this whole discussion? So over the last uh, 25 years since STS has been in business, we've done a lot of work in integrated solutions for the military and also on the commercial side. A lot of it uh, revolves around uh, training products and simulation and uh, command and control. All of those components require rare earths to effectively be uh, productized and delivered. Um, so as the the demand has increased, the challenges of having access have in increased exponentially harder to get. And now a lot of that supply is being controlled by China. And there is no capability in the United States or very much anywhere else in the world to manufacture, produce, and deliver these rare earths that are critical to these components. So this is a situation where 20% from China, 20% from Africa, or, or how is this distributed, the, the whole production of rare earth? Uh, the vast majority, we're talking 90% or greater of the rare earth elements come out of China. They control the vast majority of the world's supply and the processing of rare earths. It almost seems like we're in a time warp back in the 1970s where all the oil was coming from the Middle East, coming to the United States, sure. and become energy independent. Well, right now, it's just fast forward 30 years. Now we're almost subject to a monopoly situation with rare earth, aren't we? That's correct. As a matter of fact, uh, a number of years ago, there's uh, uh, evidence where the Chinese leadership actually said in conference in public, the Middle East has its oil. China is going to have rare earths. So, General, from a military perspective, does that get you concerned? Yeah, absolutely. You, you never want to be dependent upon one source or one person or one country. You know, you know, in the military, you do everything joint. You do everything with your allied countries. But if everything is dependent upon, as Dave said in this case, a supply from China, uh, you know, we don't want to go there. So we've got to have that national level discussion that talks about how do we open this up? How do we gain more access to it? Uh, in the 1960s to about 1980, actually, the U.S. was the leading producer. 
after 1980, as Dave said, 80 to 90 percent comes from China. So they control export, they control the price of it, and they've been able to fluctuate that back and forth and how much it costs, how much you can get. And again, from a military perspective, from my standpoint, as I look at the technology we had to prosecute military missions, whether it was a drone and having persistent uh, surveillance, whether it was having sonar capability to look at uh, ships on the sea, submarines underneath, those type of military applications are very dependent upon rare earth elements. So it's a national security discussion that we need to have. So uh, how esoteric a discussion is this, Dave? Are people on Capitol here aware of this? Are there any mandates from politicians or from uh, lawmakers about warning us about the situation with rare earth? Yeah, so uh, late last year, the president uh, signed an executive order raising uh, rare earth elements and its importance to the national security of the United States, both from an economic standpoint and a military standpoint, and signed an order uh, to have the federal government increase its uh, uh, involvement in trying to support rare earths. Uh, elements developed in the United States. And uh, very recently, they've had a couple of solicitations, which has been great news to the industry. Uh, one that came out of the Air Force and one that's come out of the Army that is looking to figure out how to build a supply chain and the infrastructure uh, for the supply chain and all the processing and separation requirements to have the United States industrial base build its own rare earth element supply chain. It's a unique application of a public-private partnership where perhaps the skills that the military have aren't involved in mining and refining, Correct. and the commercial skills may be there, yes. but they work together to achieve the, the end of a yes. supply chain that's secure. Yeah, and it's, it's really important that people understand this. This is the first time since the Manhattan Project when, you know, back in World War II when they were looking to build the atomic bomb, that the United States government has actually taken a look at investing in the defense industrial base to build something of such national critical support importance. So are we in a situation where uh, the United States has a lot of natural resources and they just don't have many rare earth resources at all? We're destitute, we're, we're nothing, nothing on the shelf? <laughs> no, it's, it's two-sided, right? One is the mining requirements, and there's obviously a lot of restrictions for mining because you've got to protect the environment. Um, you don't want to go out and extract a bunch of ore that isn't really going to generate uh, quality rare earths. So you've got to be very conscious of that. But the biggest problem has been that is, is the separation and processing component of that. Uh, the Chinese basically flooded the market, and what was left in the United States was not uh, economically viable anymore, and they ultimately went out of business. And so now there has to be both building out the supply from the rare earths coming out of the ground, the mining operations, which they're located all around the world. Some of the greatest uh, components of that, we do have some locations in the United States, some in Texas, some in uh, uh, North Dakota, some out in Alaska. Um, there's a lot in uh, Australia is one other location, which is a friendly partner, but it's a very small percentage of the world's supply. And then uh, some of the other places, like, such as like Afghanistan, actually have a tremendous supply of rare earths that's untapped. So no one would have thought that 10, 15 years ago, where Afghanistan may have resources that can actually benefit the American military. Sure, sure. I mean, it, it's still a work in progress. There's still a lot of assessments and evaluation that needs to occur. But it is uh, one of the concerns for the country like Afghanistan that has a tremendous amount of mineral deposits. Great. Let's take a break and come back and talk more about uh, the economy and the military aspects of rare earth. My guests today are David Morgan, co-founder and vice president of operations at STS International, and General John F. Campbell. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy, on the discussion, Rare Earth Elements, Why They Are Critical to the Health of the U.S. Economy, Defense, and Supply Chain, sponsored by STS International on Federal News Network. My guests today are David Morgan, co-founder and vice president of operations at STS International, and General John F. Campbell, retired. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy. We're talking about rare earth, and it looks like 
China is trying to get a monopoly on the supply and the pricing of rare earths. Now, the problem with monopolies is good news and bad news, and they can control things, but it can come back to haunt them, can't they? And so in a monopoly situation, typically a, a company will try to maybe start mining operations on their own in order to increase the supply. So what has happened? Has anyone done that in the past? Yeah, so there were uh, several locations in the United States that actually were produce, mining and producing rare earths. Um, and then uh, the uh, technology ended up showing up in China uh, through a number of different very ways, of varying ways the Chinese started picking up the technology to do the processing and separation of it. And then once they built that infrastructure there, they became, they had the ability to uh, control the pricing. So they could flood the market, lower the price, and then it ultimately made it economically not viable for a lot of other uh, businesses that were actually doing the mining and separation and processing of it. General, there's a book out by uh, Dr. Ned Mamula and Ann Bridges called Groundbaking and talk about rare earth. And um, they talk about this phrase, mineral independence. <laughs> and so, so what does that mean to you? What does mineral independence mean for our, our viewers? Well, again, from a military perspective, you never want to be dependent on one source. You always want to have options. You always want to be able to provide the senior leadership courses of action as you work toward a mission. And if everything is tied into one source, one spot, one country in this case, then you're very limited. And if they decide to cut that off from you, then you then you lose all of your options. So I think just, again, from a national security perspective, in order to have rare earth elements that we use in our drones, that we use in our sonar, that we use in GPS, that we use uh, precision fires, all of those types of things, if we don't have that capability or if we're dependent upon it and somebody shuts us off, uh, then we lose, lose our options. We never want to fall in that boat. And unfortunately, as Dave talked about, we don't have that capacity currently in the United States and we have to start investing and be able to get after it. So this discussion we're having today is really meant to, to raise the awareness on rare, rare earth elements. And STS has been looking at this very hard for the last couple of years and really wants to get after that. And, and again, from a military perspective, I'm not a chemist, uh, I'm not a miner, but I know that what it goes into are very, very critical. So Dave, um, what role do you see STS playing? Are they brokering the interests? Are they raising the flag? Are they gonna actually get involved in the mining business or assemble people who can invest in that? Or what mm. role will you play? So a lot of what SDS has done in the past has been able to do um, some aggressive studies on economic feasibility studies, uh, preliminary economic analyses, um, exploration, things like that in different market conditions. Uh, right now, our main interest is looking at what the feasibility is of uh, a rare earth uh, operation in the United States. Um, we're very much a company that focuses on an agnostic approach to it. So we don't try to tie our uh, business operations to a specific supply or a specific process or a specific technique. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity to f create um, uh, an operation that does both domestic and foreign sources. And there's also a huge component of recycling that can be done. There's, right, there's a lot of consumer electronics out there that are currently in use every day that already have had rare earths that have been processed, delivered into materials and components, like in your phone or in your computers and hard drives, TVs, you know, it goes on and on and on, that could be reutilized. So that would be a win-win all the way around. General, the DOD just uh, released a request for proposals for uh, a framework for sta standing up and, and bringing in rare earth elements into the supply chain there. Is this a good place to start or should it start in the commercial world? Well, I think it's got to be a partnership. I think uh, Dave's really looked hard at that, at that request and how STS can help and really generate discussion on moving that forward. You know, I, we, we talk a little about where it's from, where it's coming from, and, and what really piqued my interest was, you know, my last two years in the military I spent as a commander of all the U.S. and NATO forces in Afghanistan. And Afghanistan has probably one of the largest 
deposits of rare earth elements in, in the world. Over a trillion dollars is what it's estimated. We've been there for 19 years. Can we take advantage of that? So we're, we're having those, those kind of discussions as well. Easier to do if it's in the United States, it's in Australia, it's in South Africa, on and on, yes. But we shouldn't forget that there's a huge component in Afghanistan. And as we work through transition in Afghanistan, can this become part of the discussion? We're looking at that very, very hard as well. When I hear the word $1 trillion, my, my, I get excited to hear about that, it seems like. But still, that's potential, and it takes millions and millions of dollars to just go in there and invest in order to open up the mines and refine it. Isn't yeah. that true? Yeah, it does. It does. There's a tremendous amount of effort that goes into it to include exploration, where you have to go off and assess what's actually in the core drillings it has in the ore and refine that. And the, the mining actually is dependent upon that. So you have to do that part first. Then you can do a mining feasibility study, then you can build the mine, and then you can start worrying about separation and processing. So it's a, a very long extended uh, um, supply chain that goes, and every part has a value proposition to it. So John, if you, you know, just to, to emphasize the long piece of it, that's why we need to have this discussion now. If we decided tomorrow we're gonna go do this, and we had all this money, you know, it would still take several years before we get anything out of this. So if we don't have this discussion now, we're really, really behind the power curve. So. It's really incumbent upon the national leadership, both military, both from uh, on the political side and from industry. And that's why Dave's really pushing this joint partnership to get after and get the discussion going. This morning I sat down with a gentleman. We talked about LIDAR, LIDAR, and they talked about advances in satellite imaging. And I guess it's possible that a product like a satellite using rare earth could use capabilities to, to look at uh, underground deposits and find rare earth mm -hmm. maybe in South America, maybe in North America or in Canada. So maybe the problem has a built-in solution to it with using new technology to find rare earths to make more technology. Sure. Is that being considered also? Yeah, it, it, there is. There's a lot of technologies out there that do um, scanning from uh, yeah. aerial platforms mm -hmm. to include, you know, you can fly it over on a drone or you a fixed-wing aircraft. But that's just the first step, right? At the end of the day, you have to, LIDAR doesn't go below the surface of the earth very well. <laughs> it's a laser, so it's only gonna get a, a, a limited penetration. So you still have to get on the ground and you still have to be able to assess it by going in and do core drillings and being able to assess the rock and figure out whether um, it's actually mineable, right? There's a lot of other complexities associated with that operation. So General, if uh, you're preparing an operation and you know you have a single source for a certain part of your uh, campaign, it, it would make you very uncomfortable, I would think, and this is leaders now have to think about 10 years from now with, with unexpected consequences for things can happen if they come in short supply. Like all the material comes from China, they could cut us off tomorrow, couldn't they? They could. I mean, again, you never want to have a single source of failure, and so you want to have options, and I think in military operations, you always take a look at different courses of action and figure out uh, what your options are, but you want to really, really have the opportunity not to come to a point where you depend upon one person, one supplier. I mean, we've, we've said that from the very beginning, but it's going to take time, so we have to start the discussion now and really have a strategic plan as we move forward. And I think, as Dave talked earlier, the United States is starting to look at that. What we're trying to do is really increase and provide uh, a sense of urgency that we have to get out there now because, again, we have no facilities that are operating in the U.S. We've had some in the past, mm -hmm. but we've got, to get, we've got to get after that. And it's going to take time and money, and we have to invest in our future to get there. And the problem is... We worry about the 50-meter targets, the 100-meter targets, what's going to happen tomorrow. We really got to look at five years, 10 years down the road. If, if we told you in two years you're not going to be able to use your cell phone because we can't make cell phones, you know, you're not going to be able to use your computer in the military. We, we don't have GPS. You know, What's that going to do to you? So I, right now we've been very, very, um, I think, fortunate that we've had great technology. We've been able to invest but it's not going to be that way the whole time. So we, we have to get after it right now. And so we're trying to create a dialogue, trying to create urgency 
uh, both from the economic piece and from the military to really get after this. My guests today are David Morgan, co-founder and vice president of operations at SPS International, and General John F. Campbell, retired. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy, on the discussion, Rare Earth Elements, why they are critical to the health of the U.S. economy, defense, and supply chain. Sponsored by STS International on Federal News Network. Celebrate the extraordinary achievements in blood cancer research at the 33rd Annual Leukemia Ball on Saturday, March 21st, provided by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's National Capital Area Chapter. More information at leukemiaball.org. Welcome back to the discussion, Rare Earth Elements, Why They Are Critical to the Health of U.S. Economy, Defense, and Supply Chain. Sponsored by SPS International on Federal News Network. My guests today are David Morgan, co-founder and vice president of operations at STS International, and General John F. Campbell. Retired. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy. Let's focus on supply chain here. Now, when I first think of supply chain, I remember years ago, people would buy routers and physical hardware, mm -hmm. and they go back to the source and say, well, these routers are being made in Taiwan, and we have to have sure. them made in the United States. And so usually it's a, a physical, tangible asset. Sure. The next level of supply chain is, in my old, is software where the software code is sitting in repositories, and people wonder, what's the origin of this? There's got to be a, a way to make, make sure that, no, this router wasn't manufactured in Taiwan, and this software code does not have vulnerabilities, and so it has to be uh, in some kind of a supply chain or maybe even a blockchain. So what is supply chain and blockchain, and what does it mean for rare earth elements? Wow, so rare earth elements. So I, I try to distill this down to a, a, a simple explanation. Um, so if, if you look at flour, Right, and flour then gets combined into all different types of bakery goods, right? And, um, and then there's an end product that gets delivered. Rare earth elements are the flour that mm. comes out of this. Um, the, that's what's being produced predominantly in China. Sometimes they sell the quote unquote raw flour. Sometimes they convert the flour into magnets or convert the flour, the rare earth elements, into other products that then they sell directly. Those components actually are get sold into other manufacturers that build the boards that go into the routers. So it's a critical component of the, uh, the entire supply chain because it's the beginning, the, the nexus of what all of the electronics come from. So if you don't have those, you can't build them. Now, uh, overall, the biggest challenge is how do you monitor the supply chain and how do you validate the supply chain is actually has its integrity, where the products are coming from, how they're getting incorporated into, 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 into different types of components. So that one of those solutions could be something like blockchain. A blockchain is a electronic ledger that tracks transactions between individuals and parties and that is fully transparent and auditable so that you can see where the product was picked up from, where it was delivered to, what it got integrated to, and then got delivered into a component that actually shows up in a final product and when, then where the final product goes to. So blockchain, although it's still a uh, evolving technology, is a product that has a tremendous amount of application to it. On top of that, there's a bunch of enabling technologies that go into blockchain that potentially could revolutionize this type of, of problem where you're trying to track uh, a component or a product through, through the supply chain to customers. There are things called quantum dots, which I was working with recently with a company down in Austin, Texas, that they actually can embed um, products, quantum dots that illuminate uh, colors that are unique to that one color. It's like it's a barcode that you'll never see again. It could be embedded in your jacket. It could be embedded in your watch. It could be embedded in a piece of paper. And it will be able to be tracked. And you can insert that into the into blockchain and see it transmit all the way through to its final component. So this, this, this is an evolving market, and it's going to be huge. But again, the big challenge goes back to if all of the source comes out of one location, it hamstrungs our ability to... Uh, 
create a national interest in security and, and on military applications. So if you were sitting next to a general and you wanted to reassure him, yes. well, you'd probably turn to him and say, what if we created an environment that had multiple sources and multiple processes, mm -hmm. and then we had some way to uh, have a supply chain where we can guarantee that uh, we have various suppliers and they're all validated and correct suppliers. Correct. This would reassure at least some of the generals in the future that you know, we can proceed with some yes. campaigns and not get caught short. Yeah. Re reassure me, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is a huge issue for the United States um, at multiple levels. It's just not a military issue. It's also um, at, at any level where you're relying on a foreign source. Um, so there's been a lot of effort uh, put in by the federal government in the last several years on validating the supply chain, getting to the lowest tiers of the supply chain to figure out where the products are coming from. Um, there have been open reports in the market where there's a significant amount of the Joint Strike Fighter, which is one of our most technically advanced weapon systems in the U.S. military right now, a large portion of it, I can't get into the specifics of it, uh, are actually comprised of rare earth elements. So we can't build our Joint Strike Fighter without things like that. So being able to track that all the way through the supply chain. And then there's the issues associated with the cybersecurity resiliency of it. So people aren't going to come in and steal the secrets that we're developing on how to process and maintain and sustain these equipments or where the rare earth elements are going to, to what supplier and how they're being delivered. All of these have to be a total integrated solution which is why we're pushing for the, having the conversation at this point to, to build the framework. So you know how to address something like rare earths that are going to be critical for us in the future. Is this going to mean partnering with organizations like the Colorado School of Mines and finding out new ways, more efficiencies for refining these elements and, yeah. and partnering with generals and leaders and trying sure. to figure out what they need and what they project out in the future? This gets to be a very complicated algorithm where what's going to go on four or five years from now, it's got to be very difficult to even know what you're going yeah. to need in five years. Yeah. And that's, yes, absolutely. And that's what we're, we're, we're having the conversations about initially. And it's something that STS has always been very, very good at and being able to excel, look into the future and see where the vision is that we're going to need to address in 10, 15, 20 years. Um, so there are, are a lot of great universities out there, West Virginia universities, Colorado School of Mines is an incredible university. There are some of the leaders in the area. Um, they have some great technologies that they're working on extracting out of uh, coal ash or out of different types of uh, residuals from other mining operations finding new processes to be able to uh, extract rare earths out of uh, existing uh, core samples that were more effective and efficient. So, no, General, I'm a big believer in events precipitating actions. And in the cybersecurity world, they talk about events, and all of a sudden people are about firewalls and encryption and everything else. So do you think there's going to be an event that's going to precipitate this discussion and bring it up to a national importance? Well, you, you never want to look, I think you're referring to maybe a disaster type event. I don't, you know, I just you think know, something. A 9-11 you know. or something like that, or a, a cyber event that shuts down a city well, or, or whatever. We can't manufacture the F-35 because of raw uh, materials. Exactly, so again, what SDS is trying to do, and we've talked to the academic world, we, as we talked about on the universities, talked to the technology world, talking to the military, talking to business. It's going to take collaboration from all elements of our society. You've got to have a, you know, for lack of a better term, a whole of government approach to really get after this challenge. And if we don't start the discussion, at least, we're never going to get there. It's going to take time, it's going to take money, and it's going to take advocacy by people that are interested in this field to really get after it. And again, STS is an advocate for this and really wants to get after this and wants to start that dialogue. You know, for me in the military, it's all about prioritization. If everything's a priority, then nothing's a priority. But this has to somewhere in our national dialogue become a priority as we move forward or else we're going to be in trouble. I think we've accomplished that awareness of the problem and then handle it in the future. I'd like to thank my guest, David Morgan, co-founder and vice president of operations at STS International and General John F. Campbell, retired. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy, and you're listening 
Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search STS. Thank you for listening to the discussion, Rare Earth Elements, why they are critical to the health of the U.S. economy, defense, and supply chain. Sponsored by STS International on Federal News Network.